You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Well, good morning, everyone. How are we all doing this morning? Good morning, good. My name's Hank. Um, I am a member here at City Church. I work in our college ministry um, as a college ministry associate. Um, I love working on that team and, and with our students. Um, Dean has asked me to preach again this morning. Um, I was asked to preach last Christmas season. I really love dur- preaching during this Christmas season. Um, it's a joyful time um, to be with you all and, and be able to teach. Um, I'll be continuing this morning in our series, I Believe, where we look at different characters in the Christmas story. And our hope really in this series is that we would all be encouraged uh, by the biblical narrative of the birth of Jesus Christ and that it might prepare our hearts for this Advent season as we celebrate his coming on Christmas Day. So this morning, uh, last week we looked at Mary, this week we'll be looking at Joseph. But before we do so, let's take a moment to pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning and every Sunday morning as you allow us to gather here as a church family to hear from your word, to sing songs of truth about you, and to worship you together, both in spirit and truth. We're very thankful for that. God, I pray this morning as we look to your scriptures in Matthew, at Joseph, a very ordinary man, that we would possibly see ourselves in this story, that we would see the faithfulness you have shown us and continue to show us. And I pray that we might live in light of that changed, that your word might change us this morning, that we might walk out of here new, following you closer, and I pray that you would do all of this through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, last week we looked at Mary um, in the Christmas story, and as Dean taught us, we were able to see that she was both faithful to God and available for him to move and work in her life with his plan. We could see that she understood the significance of the child she was going to bear. She wasn't ashamed to bear him. She seemed to understand um, the pressures going forward with that, the social outcasting, everything that she faced. But she was faithful and available to him to do as he wished in her life, ultimately for his plan of salvation for us. And this morning, we turn and give our attention to her husband, Joseph. This task is not quite as simple. There's not very much on Joseph um, in the scriptures. We could even say that he's almost a footnote. There's really um, not a ton of verses on him, but what we do see is very important. His presence in the scriptures signifies something um, in the birth of Jesus and about Jesus that we cannot miss this Christmas season. And so we're going to look at this this morning and look at Joseph. Uh, We're going to be spending our time in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. I'm going to read that here as we start. That's Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph 
being a righteous man, and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. Our first point this morning. God uses Joseph an ordinary man in his grand plan of redemption. God uses Joseph, an ordinary man, in his grand plan of redemption. We're going to kind of walk back through this text for a moment. So we know at this point that Mary and Joseph have been engaged. The text confirms it. And at some point during this engagement, it becomes apparent that she is pregnant. Verse 18 says, It was discovered before they came together, that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. The text saying before they came together, meaning before they had consummated their marriage. The gospel authors are very clear um, in every account in pointing out the fact that they, both parties, have been faithful to God in their sexual purity. Yet, Mary is pregnant. Joseph is a little concerned it's found out. The text doesn't say how it's found out. We're not sure if Mary talks to Joseph. It's uh, actually unlikely that that would be the case, being how marriage and engagement was at the time. It's more likely that he saw Mary, and it was clear that she was pregnant. And so obviously, Joseph is going to be—he's going to be confused by this. That this <laughs> this wouldn't make sense to him. Um, it's going to seem like his soon-to-be wife has been unfaithful to him. And before we look at that further, I want to speak to something here in verse 19 that might be slightly confusing. In verse 19, we see the text calls Joseph her husband, and then it speaks um, of a divorce that Joseph is thinking about going through with. And you may be a little bit confused because first, in, uh, we see that they, it says they're engaged, and then it says Joseph, her husband, and then it says he's thinking about a divorce and then later in the text, we'll see the angel says to take her as his wife. And so it's like back and forth, back and forth. Which one is this going to be? And the reason why this seems confusing to us is because engagement at this time and marriage was slightly different than how we would do things today. This would have been an arranged uh, marriage. They would have become engaged. And that engagement is actually a legally binding contract whereby a divorce is required to separate that engagement even prior to marriage. The two, the, the husband, future husband, would pay the dowry to the wife's father, and then they would be engaged for around a year, and the woman would quite literally leave her father's house and go to her now husband's house and consummate that marriage, taking it from an engagement to a marriage. And so for this reason... Uh, Joseph is called her husband because what's done in that engagement is legally binding, um, and he will become her husband, but they have yet to consummate their marriage, as this text makes clear. 
And I'm sure at this point, Joseph's mind is swirling. He's in a scenario where, like any other man, would be believing that his wife has been unfaithful to him. He's been faithful to God in sexual purity, yet Mary is pregnant. So he's unsure how all of this could happen. The text describes Joseph in this way. Joseph being a righteous man. And this makes clear for us that Joseph was a man who's faithful to God. Some translations will say righteous and just, which gives us this sort of picture of a religious piousness and a legal justness about him. So we could say that he's a good man and he's seeking to follow God. And so he's trying to figure out how to best go about a plan for this situation. He thinks that the best thing to do is to separate their engagement quietly. You could divorce an engagement in two ways. You could do it publicly um, in order to shame the other party, or you could do it privately in front of two witnesses. So he's thinking in order to not shame Mary, to, to just get out of this, I'm going to divorce her quietly. I'm just, I'm just going to end this as it is. And at this point, the Lord intervenes. Because Joseph, in his own character and his willingness to follow God, has gone as far as he could possibly go, as far as he could possibly understand about this scenario. And God steps in with his plan, which is far better. Look with me at verse 20. But after he had considered these things, so we see that Joseph really is considering what's going on here, trying to come up with the best plan An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Why? Because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, as in she has not been unfaithful to you. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. You see, what Joseph could never understand, the Lord has revealed to him. What he thought was most likely unfaithfulness and infidelity has turned out to be the perfect and righteous plan of God in bringing our Savior into this world. And I think what we can begin to see here about Joseph in this text is that he is very ordinary. Joseph is a carpenter, and he seems like he's seeking to be faithful to God, to be a righteous follower of God, to be a just, good man who follows the law. And he's ordinary, like many of us are. Just living our lives, working our jobs, having a great family, just trying to live for the Lord in obedience to him. But what we see here and what we've seen over and over again in the scriptures is that God is faithful to use our ordinary daily obedience to him and his word for the good and the expansion of his kingdom. And so we see that God is using Joseph here a very, very normal man to bring about the greatest news, the greatest plan, the most extraordinary thing possible. And we see that Joseph, hoping to follow God, does what he says right away. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son. And he did as the Lord commanded, he named him Jesus. See, he follows the Lord's instruction to the T. In the face of what would probably be a plummeting social status, whatever honor he might have had, he is willing to give up for the sake of the Lord. There certainly was a cost 
for Joseph, but it's clear that this cost was not too high for him. He was willing to follow the Lord in this. But frankly, as I said at the outset of this sermon, Joseph's really kind of a footnote in the scriptures. He's barely even mentioned. I mean, if you just flip through your Bible, like, there's, this is the largest passage about Joseph. He is there, and then he's not. And the thing about that is, the true importance of Joseph is that this is not about Joseph. This is about God. This is about God's faithfulness to Joseph and about God's faithfulness to his people. If we look deeper at this text, Joseph is not the main character in verse 18 through 25. God, in his sovereign work of bringing the Savior to us, is. Joseph is just the way that God communicates that to us. Which leads us to our second point, which is this. God proves his covenant faithfulness to his people through Joseph. He proves his covenant faithfulness to his people through Joseph. Look with me at verse 20. The angel of the Lord says this to Joseph. He says, Joseph, son of David. There is no accident in what he has just said to him. This is not some sort of nickname for Joseph. No, this is a reminder of the heritage of the title that Joseph carries in the lineage of the house of David. Now let's turn back our Bibles to chapter 1. You may not even have to turn yours back. Let's be there. And look with me at verse 1, chapter 1. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. An account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Then Matthew goes on to record a genealogy of Jesus. He says he's the son of people like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, Boaz, Jesse, David, Hezekiah, Josiah, Jacob, and Joseph, husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, our Christ, right? All familiar names to us after spending a, a word in the, a year in the word. Do you see what Matthew is trying to build in this chapter? Do you see what he's, he's building from this first verse and then what he says about Joseph being the son of David? He's trying to show us this isn't just some form of a miraculous birth. No, this birth is the birth of the long-awaited, long-promised Messiah, This birth is the heir spoken of in 2 Samuel 7, when God covenants with David and says this, the Lord declares to you, the Lord himself will make a house for you. When your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendant who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows for mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him, as it did when I removed it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure before me forever, and your throne will be established forever. You see, the fulfillment of the heir of David has come true in Jesus. It has come true in the child that is now conceived in Mary. A better king has been conceived. A a king whose kingdom, like David's, shall know no end. A king who, in his presence, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. 
You see, the Messiah always had to come from the line of David because God promised it to David that that would come true. It's just in a way we never would have expected, right? If we're going to expect someone to come and take over the world today, we're thinking high power like CEO, dictator, president, some form of world power, and they were thinking very much the same back then. A king that will come and set us free from Roman rule so that we can reign sovereign again. But God has a very, very different plan. He brought a king in a very humble way. Yes, from the royal line of David, but humbly in a manger to a young couple faithful to God from a town unsuspecting of anything extraordinary. And this son is not only the son of David, it's said that this is the son of Abraham as well. Abraham, whom God covenanted with in chapter 15 of Genesis, and promised him that his offspring, promised to a man that had no children, promised him that his offspring would outnumber the stars. And what does the text say then? It says that Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness. This is the son of Abraham. To whom Abraham it was promised a people who become the nation of Israel. And in them, they are to be representatives of God and his holiness and a light to the world. Yet, they fail again and again to follow God at all, much less represent God to the world. But the true son of Abraham has come to make right his people. Jesus has come by which God's children truly do outnumber the stars. We know that so because in Matthew 28, Jesus commands us, what does he say? He says, go. And what are we to do? We're to make disciples of who? Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And we teach them all that Jesus has commanded to us. And we know that he will be with us from now until the end of the age, right? Discipling people of all nations. Jesus has made sure that his people will be representatives to the world, therefore fulfilling Genesis chapter 15 and this covenant to Abraham. You see, God remained faithful to his covenants, and he fulfilled them not by Joseph, but through him and by his son, Jesus. And I want us to notice in this passage the preciseness of God's providence to us, his people. Just look at the names in the genealogy. Look at the amount of time and people and places. I mean, even think about the story of Ruth and Boaz in this. The amount of things the Lord had to sovereignly bring together for his son Jesus to come and save us. Look at the triune act of God in verses 18 through 25. We see the Spirit who works a miraculous conception of Jesus in Mary by which Jesus wasn't stained by sin. Do you understand why Jesus had to be conceived of the Holy Spirit? Because if he was conceived of Joseph, number one, he would not be God's son, and number two, he would carry the stain of sin. There's a reason why we cannot pay for our own sin, because we have that same mark of sin. Yet he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, without the taint of sin, so that he might die for us and we might be able to plead his righteousness. And we see Jesus in this text coming to us, truly God, truly man, living the perfect life to save his people. 
We have the father ordaining and speaking, commanding Joseph correctly in what to do in this really odd situation for him. I think that this is genuine proof that Jesus is the son of God. And we should be thankful that God has continued to be gracious, patient, and faithful to us as we've continued in so much sin that he still sent his son and he still will forgive us. His purpose and his timing has been perfect. Point three, Jesus was faithful to God and delivered us from our sin. He was faithful to God and he delivered us from our sin. Look back with me at the text in Matthew 1 at what the angel says to Joseph, verse 21. The angel says, she will give birth to a son You are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. You are to name him Jesus. Jesus, this name, is actually the Greek form of the Hebrew name for Joshua, which is Yehoshua, which literally means Yahweh saves or Yahweh is salvation. So the name that is given to Jesus is the name of literally what he came to do. In this name, we get the entire reason for our Christmas season and the day of Christmas. It is not for the lights. It's not for the songs. It's not for the smells. I love all of those things. I love our Christmas tree. I love the lights that my wife made me put up, right? (laughs) They're beautiful. I love singing Christmas songs. I love, you know, buying pine-scented things. We have have a fake tree. Um, I love all of it. But our greatest need this season, it is not a big Christmas dinner. It is not a large family reunion. It's not a new car, merry songs, more happiness just because it's Christmas time, or a tree loaded with presents underneath. Our greatest and most fundamental need this season and every day of our lives is to be freed from the slavery of sin. Romans 3 explains this in very graphic detail. Paul writes this. There is no one righteous, no, not one. There is no one who understands, there is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Isn't that a punch to the face in our culture? No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing. And bitterness. Their feet are swift, shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. You see, our greatest need is to be freed from our sin. The gift that we need this Christmas is a Savior, someone who, in which we can repent and believe in for true salvation in God because we we don't love God. We haven't. We don't have a fear of him. We're described as an evil and a wicked people. There's not a peace in us, right? The past that we love and we boast about in our life, right? Look at how successful I am, the things I have, what I've accomplished. Look at how perfect my family is. This text says that path is wretchedness. There's no peace in that path. Our need this Christmas And our need every Christmas is the same need Joseph had. It is a savior. 
We need that son from his line and David and Abraham. And thankfully, Romans 3 doesn't end us under this curse of sin. Romans 3 continues in verse 21. It says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Since there is no distinction... For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, yet they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. We're not left there. Jesus did come and made a way for us to be righteous in him. And so I ask you this morning, do you have the faith that Joseph had in his son Do you believe that Jesus was truly God and truly man? Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again, later ascending into heaven, reigning now at the right hand of the Father? Shouldn't this text beckon within us deeper consideration over brunch today? Shouldn't we have to ask ourselves serious questions about how we're living our lives based upon what we see here? Why do we sing these songs? Why do we produce Advent calendars and things that we read every morning, Advent season, to prepare us for Jesus' coming? Why do we do all of that? Have you believed, as Joseph believed, in his son. That's our greatest need this Christmas, is to believe in Jesus as our savior. Maybe you've believed in Jesus for a very long time, you've repented in your sins. I tell you, continue believing in him. Maybe you've never repented of your sins. You have been coming here for a long time. You've been going to church your whole life and you simply believe it because it's all you've ever heard. Let me tell you, there are a lot of religions There are a lot of things you can hear your whole life and believe because it's all you've ever heard. But we're claiming here that Jesus is the one and only true way to God. He's the only way to true righteousness and the kingdom of God. Have you believed in him for your salvation? Have you repented of your sins and trusted him? And so... This Christmas season, let's celebrate for the exact same reason Joseph would have celebrated. In understanding that the son that was to be born of Mary was the Messiah who has come to save us. Let's repent and believe in him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this text. We thank you for how clear you've made it to us in the scriptures that Jesus truly is the son of God. We thank you for Joseph, an ordinary man that's given us an example of what it looks like to be faithful to the plan that you have for us that often does not make sense. We're thankful for his example that he was willing to follow you. But ultimately, we're thankful for what you've done in the verses that we just looked at. That you ordained multiple covenants. You ordained who knows how many hundreds of thousands of people and relationships so that Jesus might be born in that manger from the line of David. We're thankful for that. We're thankful 
that this morning, in every breath that we live, the offer to repent and believe as Jesus has called us to in his gospels is available to us. We're thankful that even those of us who have followed Jesus for a long time, that that is available every day and that we need to continue repenting and to continue believing in you. We're thankful this morning for your son and it's in his name that we pray, amen.